For those of you who are guests, we've been studying through the book of Romans last year and this year. We've journeyed to the, the practical part of the book of Romans, the doctrinals, chapters 1 through 11. The practi practical is 12 to the end of the book. And we've looked at chapter 12 and we've given chapter 12 kind of like a four-section outline. So I'll highlight that real quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. Um, really, we picture chapter 12 as a house. In other words, if you could picture a structure of a house, verses 1 and 2 are the foundation of the house. Verses 3 through 8 would be the first floor. Verses 9 to 16 would be the second floor. And then verses 17 to 28 would be the third floor. We've given a name to each floor. All of these floors are built upon, again, the foundation of verses 1 and 2, uh, a believer's primary goal in this life in verses 1 and 2. We talked about community. How does the community of God act and respond to one another? In verses 3 through 8. Verses 9 to 16, how does that community love each other? Community, compassion. And then when we get to it in verses 17 to 21, we'll talk about commission. How does this community that's built on the right foundation that exists well together as a community learns to have compassion properly among itself as a community, how does it reach the lost in its area, the commission? But for now, we're just studying verses 9 to 16 and about compassion and how are we supposed to love each other? How are we supposed to love each other? We divided these verses up into a number of sections last week that I'll highlight by way of reminder again. And, and how do we love each other? Well, we love each other in a holy way, H-O-L-Y, a holy way. And we see that in the first uh, verse there, uh, verse 9, verse 9. We love with an unfeigned, genuine love, and that love is a holy love. We said last week that this love is holy because it has a violent hatred for evil. Not people, but for sin. We never hate people. All souls are created in God's image and have infinite value to them. And we are to minister to them the word of God if they know Christ, and we are to reach them for Christ if they don't. And, but we, as a community, we love each other by maintaining a hatred for sin. And we're not going to take time to review that. You can listen to last week's sermon to understand that a little bit more completely. But while we hate evil, this holy love embraces good. Do you see that there in verse 9? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. And then do what? Cling to that which is good. You're not going to find a stronger word in all of the New Testament for the idea of adhesion. Adhesion. Okay? Cling to that which is good. The Lord never tells us to stop something without giving us something good to do. That's just how His grace operates. So if you've been newly saved, you've, and there's quite a handful of you in the auditorium, you've probably noticed a lot of things that the Spirit of God is just wanting out of your life. And some things go easily, and some things go a little bit more slowly, but you just know what he wants out of your life. You have this holy hatred for evil in your life. But we cling to that which is good. 
For everything the Lord eradicates out of your life as far as a practice of sin, he places other valuable things into your life, like loving him, loving his word, loving his people, loving souls that he set around your life that need Christ, enjoying life in this community that we discussed in verses 3 to 8. And you can go back and and re-listen to that sermon as well. But there's a lot of good things that we are to cling to. The idea here of cling is that that same Hebrew understanding that we have in Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. There's There's no stronger Hebrew word that we know of in the New Testament that speaks so strongly to adhesion. You cleave... Right? One man, one woman for life. You cleave, and then we cling. We pursue that which is good with an equal passion after we're saved, with an equal passion that we used to pursue evil with. Before we were saved, didn't we pursue evil pretty well? Pretty passionately? I think all of us would say, without coming to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, And being born again, we all know where our lives were tracking, don't you? I don't want you to live there long, but from time to time, when I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and and I wonder, I'm pretty much sure, I don't even have to wonder, I pretty much can tell you where my life would have ended up without the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, knowing me, there's no way I'm even alive at 50 years old. Our life was bent towards evil, but Christ. We repented from our sin, placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this equal passion now to cling to that which is good. And that's how you know. That's one one of the assurances that you know that you're truly born again. It's this abhorrence for evil and this passion for good in those ways that we have described. So this love is a holy love. We learned in verse 10 at the beginning of last week that this love is a relational love. It's a relational love. How does this community function? It's not a cookie-cut community. It actually revolves around walking shoulder-to-shoulder with someone linked spiritually arm-in-arm, learning and doing the will of God, the Word of God together. This is a relational love. What does verse 10 tell us here? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Give preference to one another in honor. Now you'll notice here that two times in this short verse we see the phrase one another. This is why we use the word relational here. But notice the divine order. Objectivity with spiritual character on an individual level is seen here so that love can then demonstrate its divine character in a relationship in a local church. In other words, love is not merely clear as ice and just as cold. It's clear. It's clear, but it's not robotic. It's clear, but it's not cookie cut. It's clear and it's relational. So remember the foundation, verses 1 and 2. As we continue to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be transfigured into the likeness of Jesus Christ as we learn his word, we're going to understand our place in the community of God, the local church. We're going to thrive there with the right disposition. And as we thrive there, we never thrive alone. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian in a good, solid, Bible-believing church. 
No one walks this road alone. We must do it together. And that's a spiritual together. That's a spiritual relationship. And the prepositional phrases of this verse 10 will qualify for us how we function together within this community. But it certainly must include relationship. I think a lot of us in our culture tire of the word discipleship. It's become quite a buzzword lately in American evangelicalism and Uh, My fear is is that this understanding of the word discipleship just merely will be reclused to one person teaching another person God's word. And that's not it. That's not it. uh, That would be be, uh, an unfortunate scenario. Discipleship is, is not just teaching. Discipleship is not just reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. It's two sides of the same coin. That's why Jesus called it making disciples. Go ye therefore in the world and make disciples. All of us. While we're trying to win one soul, we are training another soul in the scriptures. All right? A lot of people say, well, Pastor Tim, you talk about disciple making a lot. Well, my friends, that, are, that were the final words of Jesus on earth. I mean, If Jesus didn't think it was important, I don't think he would have included on the moment of his ascension to heaven. I don't want to be caustic about this, but Jesus' final word should be our first priority. He died to save us so that we could carry that gospel to somebody else. But once they're saved and in the community, we develop a relationship with that person. So life in the community of Christ doesn't just look like salvation, baptism, membership, and get busy serving in one area and don't forget to give. That's not relational in the life of of the church. It's much more intimate than that. It's much more personal than that. The idea here in in the grammar here that we're going to try to expound this morning is you are actually trying to reproduce the will of God in somebody else by use of the word of God. And that takes time. I read a book recently and one person said disciple making is best done in the rhythms of life. Disciple making is best done in the rhythms of life. You really can't shepherd a soul for one hour merely in Sunday school or teach them the word for one hour in a public forum like this or one hour on a Sunday night or one hour on a Wednesday night. Shepherding is best done in the rhythms of life. You're walking with somebody. And the language here tells us that love is relational. What does it say here? The word devoted here is a powerful term in the Greek language. This is a The idea behind this word devoted is a life's commitment, folks. Do you understand that? This is a life's commitment. This is the idea. If I win Gordon Austin to Christ, I'm devoted to him for the rest of my life. That's shocking for most people. Even if you've been in Christianity for a longer time, that's actually countercultural to what you've understood church to be. Jesus gave his life to your life for how long? For all of your life and for eternal life. When we have the opportunity to win someone to Jesus Christ, my life to his life for how long? Really until, spiritually speaking, till death do us part. This is something that 
I really believe only about 60, 65% of our congregation is grasped yet, and I'm not even upset by that. I'm encouraged that we have that many. For the other 35 to 40%, I want you to just listen, all right? That last song that we sung, as Pastor Mike said, all right, let God's holy word move you as it will in relationship to this. You in this community are not just busy. We ought to be healthy. And there's a big difference between busy and healthy. Busy is just existing in the community, staying busy, serving in one area. Healthy is you growing in the word enough where you can grow somebody else in the word and you're devoted to that. It's your life devoted to that soul in shepherding that person in what way here? What does the text say? Be devoted to one another in what? Brotherly love. It's not just the word one another used, the phrase one another used twice here that gives us understanding of a relational love, but it's here too. Brotherly love. Remember we started off in the verse part of verse nine by talking about the word agape. That's objective love. That's the love of God. That's the love of God that was compelled to reach down from heaven and condescend and save our old filthy souls. Right? That's the love that compels us to choose to love somebody else within our community. But this love is relational. It's not just agape love. This is the root word where we get our English word brotherly love. This is relational love. And we're devoted to walking in a flesh and blood relationship with somebody else in this church. I was preaching two weeks ago. That's why I couldn't attend your, your good wedding. I was preaching out of town two weeks ago to a church, a group of churches. And I was talking through this reality of the great opportunity we had to be in the community of God because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the opportunity we have to shepherd one another and to be devoted to that. And a lady came up to me afterwards. She said, I've been saved for over 40 years and I have never been instructed that it's my responsibility to shepherd someone in the word of God. And she goes, my heart has been longing for that ever since I got saved is to be shepherded by somebody and then to shepherd somebody in the word of God. And another lady was standing and my peripheral vision was with an earshot of what she said and she joined and she came over and began with tears. And before I knew it, it was really interesting. None of the men in the congregation at that point came up and talked to guys really aren't that kind of. That's fine, but there was, a, there was a little crowd of ladies around me just hungry saying, I want to shepherd somebody. And ladies often get this before men do because they're naturally maternal in nature and they're communicative, they're relational, they're motherly, they want to protect, and that's okay, but God calls all of us to be devoted to somebody in brotherly love, but don't ever forget the context. Brotherly love is within the community of verses three through eight. Okay, And this relational aspect continues on here with another phrase. He says here in verse 10, give preference to one another. Give preference to one another in brotherly love. So just remember these three Ps because we're going to move on here. This, this relational aspect takes place in a place, the local church. It involves people, right? People in that place place, not a building, but a group of people is the place. The church is not a building, it's people. The truth content of love must be lived and shared among those people. Holy relationships are built on individual holy character, and we want another each through these things. And the holy character of love conveys its character to other people within this place. 
within this place. And it has a pursuit. It involves people in a place, and there's a pursuit. The pursuit is this. We're, we're never going to give preferential treatment to anyone in this relationship. That's what the latter part of verse 10 says. All right? It says, give preference to one another in honor. But what that literally means is simply this. Right? One translation says, outdo one another in showing honor. The NIV says, honor one another above yourselves. Literally in the Greek grammar, it just simply says, give preference. All it means is consider better. The person that you're shepherding, always consider them better than yourself. You can cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I really believe this is the mind of Christ, who thought it not Robert will be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of a man, and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. So here's the Lord of lords, King of kings, being enfleshed and dying for us, certainly the spiritual darkened ones. Even Christ esteemed us higher than himself, which is a mystery to me. Thankful for it, but can't wrap my mind around it. So as I'm shepherding Gordon, go back, and go back to our story. I may have been in the Lord for 20 years. Gordon may have been in the Lord for 20 hours. But when we sit down and we study scripture together, what, are I, what am I doing? I'm preferencing him. Because now we're on an even playing field. I've been saved for 20 years, 20 hours. Who's more saved? Right? So automatically I'm in his midst and I'm walking on holy ground because we have an equal measure of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in both of us. Now it's my privilege to serve under him through the word of God. A community that's healthy and loving one another should never be known for arrogance. Should never be known for its pride or bullheadishness. Should be known as a community, a community that thinks better of everyone else in the body than they think of themselves. And that's really certainly the mind of Christ here. So when we consider better or accord recognition to show appreciation to another believer, as one author said, you do these things to directly demonstrate. Christ and his character in the community, our local community. Considering all believers better than us as individuals at all times is only, though, a responsibility that God's grace can help us fulfill. But it's a spiritual discipline that's certainly learned. So it's clear in this first portion of our section on compassion that love can only truly be lived out as we help each other in a personal fashion in a personal fashion, but I don't ever want you to, again, I don't, I don't want to beat this drum too often that you become um, oblivious to it or you turn a deaf ear to it. Right? But remember the foundation, verses one and two. Right? There's always a process of growing in Christ-likeness as we exist in the community in our various giftedness with the right disposition. But remember the way we the way we love each other before we get to this relational aspect, we understand what love is, and love is holy. It abhors evil. It clings to that which is good. So when I give myself to 
Gordon, or I give myself to lead somebody else spiritually, I am a soul that's a humbled soul in my disposition. I give preference to them, but I am also seeking to be a holy soul. I can't be enjoying and swimming in the dark wonders of this world six days a week, and on the seventh day a week show up and present myself all Christianized and expect to shepherd his soul well. This daily transfiguration happens six days a week, seven days a week. We walk worship-filled lifestyles. We're growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so when we sit down with someone and lead them through the Word of God with divine integrity, we ourselves are people of integrity. Does that make sense? So this love is relational. I hope this side of heaven that all of you have the opportunity to embrace the depth and the breadth of what relationship really means here in Romans 12.10. There is nothing greater this side of heaven, nothing greater this side of heaven, other than being born again into the family of God, than being able to sit down with the scriptures between you and another soul and grow that person in the word of God. There is nothing better, and Christ's final words should be our first priority. We're coming. We're growing there by God's grace. But be prepared to be this kind of relational in the local church. Okay? This is what love does. This is what holy love does. We see here in verses 11 and 12 that love is passionate. Love is not just holy and relational. It's passionate. Let's continue on here. Read verse 11 with me. Not lagging behind in diligent, fervent, and spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And you said, Pastor Tim, I thought you said that Christianity is not just busy. That sounds ridiculously busy to me. Okay. Well, I... We, we summarize why these indicative and imperatives are given here throughout verses 9 to 16 in machine gun order for good purpose last week, but we don't want you to be inundated by the rapidity or the rap, rapid pace of these phrases. So we're going to back up, take these phrases, give them four major points, back up even more, and explain them simply so that everyone knows that by God's grace, these things are actually kind of simply done even though they're given to us here so quickly. Love is passionate. Love is passionate. It's wonderful to see, um, well, it's wonderful to remember back when you first um, discovered your spouse, right? Um, For some of you, it was love at first sight, and for some of you, it wasn't. You had to grow into loving that person. Um, but you remember back to that, and, and once you pretty much knew that, that uh, scripturally speaking, that, that this was the girl for you, um, um, you were enamored romantically by her, and, or, or for you ladies, by him, and, and, and we get wrapped up in that passion. And I want to let you know that the passion that's being discussed here is not a romantic passion, right? But it is a spiritual passion. 
love does, agape love does have a relational expression, one another through friendship love. That's verse 10. But agape love that has a proper relational friendship love will also have a passion behind it. And it's not romantic, it's actually quite objective. Now I want you to take all these phrases that we just read in verses 11 and 12, I want you to divide these phrases into two sections, and we're going to tell you what we're supposed to be passionate about. Okay? We're going to tell you, we're going to be passionate about two things. Are you ready? There's six phrases here. We're going to divide them up into two small sections, and this is what we get to be fervent about. Service in the local church, and then our relationship with this world as we await the return of Jesus Christ. Service in the church and our relationship with the world, and we're going to just kind of encapsulate these phrases into these two ideas and continue to move forward here. How do we know, then, if our love is maturing? We'll know that our love is maturing if we are going to be passionate, objectively passionate along these lines. Our former pastor here of 30-some years used to, used to use this analogy that many of you will remember. We use it often here still. If you're going to grow in maturity, you have to understand that, that uh, true growth is always based first off of the facts of the Word of God, right? which is faith. So we, we, we all live on a faith of, upon the word of God based in Jesus Christ. And then there's going to be certain facts from this book that emerge, and when we apply those facts, they're going to give birth to proper feelings. Remember, pastor always used to say, keep this in order, right? Faith, fact, what? Feeling. Faith, fact, feeling. Faith, fact, feeling. That's pretty much what Paul's doing here. There is a feeling that's involved with serving the Lord in the local church, but it's based on our faith and these facts. So it is objectively driven, and here along two lines, serving and waiting. Serving well and waiting well. So what are these three phrases in relationship to serving in the local church? Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. If you're taking notes, literally this means in zeal, don't be lazy. In zeal, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy in what? And have zeal for what, you might ask. Cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible, verses 3 through 8. In zeal, don't be lazy. In zeal, don't be lazy. Remember, we're going to compare the Scripture within its immediate context. Not lagging behind and diligent at all. Verses 3 through 8 really could, could really be the cross-reference for these three directives here. So while you serve within your giftedness in the local church, don't be lazy. Do it with passion. Do it with zeal. As you serve with your giftedness in the local church, make sure you're fervent in spirit. Can I tell you what that means? I really believe that's just synonymous with let the spirit of God govern you. Remember Ephesians 5.19, don't be drunk with wine, but be governed by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 6 talks about praying in the Spirit. I really believe the word Spirit here is in reference to the Holy Spirit, not your human spirit. Within the context, that makes more sense to me. When you're serving inside the local church, 
Do it with fervency. Do it with diligence and not laziness because we're not serving just any ordinary human master. We're singing, serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and while you do that, always be governed by the passion that the Spirit of God provides. Because if you're going to look to merely your own human spirit, you're going to run out of gas. Okay? You're just going to peter out. But if you're in the Word, governed by the Word, saved by the living Word, Jesus Christ, and you're governed by the Spirit of God, there's a supernatural energy that underpins your activity inside the local church. So be fervent, but in the Spirit. In the Spirit of God. And it says here, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Let's not forget the ultimate person for which we serve. Cross-reference here, serving the Lord, back to verse 7. I believe that's a good cross-reference here. Remember we were going through spiritual giftedness, and we said in verse 7, if serving in service. And we noticed the Greek root where there was diakonos, which is a general word for service in the local church here. But the word here that we find for service here is the Greek word doulos. It's different in serving the Lord. This word conveys kind of a behind the scenes, faithful whether someone's watching or not, because the Lord is always observing the faithfulness of his children with divine intention. And when our foundation is organic and the function of our community and the local church is healthy, it will love itself well. This love is holy. This love is relational. This love is objectively passionate. It's consistent, spirit-filled, and never wanting recognition. Why? Because it's the Lord who ultimately always gets the recognition, not his servants. It's okay to honor those who are honoring the Lord. The Bible says that. But ultimately in the mindset here, we're talking about ministry in the local church. We serve unto the Lord as under rowers. Never wanting to be seen because we want Christ to be exalted. So, this is a passionate love. And we'll wrap up this morning with verse 12. Not just in service to the local church, but our relationship to the world. We read these verses. Verse 12 says, how do we get through this old world while we serve in this loving local church place? How do we survive? He says, rejoice in hope. Can I tell you what that literally means in the Greek grammar? It just simply means, in hope, rejoice. Or in hope, keep rejoicing. What's our hope? Our hope is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Bible says no man knows the hour or the moment, but God does, and it can happen at any moment. It's the hope of salvation from this earth that 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about that keeps us looking up and keeps us anticipatory of seeing our Savior face to face. And it could happen before we all draw our next breath. The trumpet could sound and his people are relieved from the trauma of this old world and forever worshiping, serving, and living with King Jesus. In that hope, live well. That's all the way you can survive in this world as a Christian. But remember the process. Foundation, community, love. 
Love is holy, relational. It's passionate, it's objective, the way it serves and the way it dwells in this old world as a servant in the local church. Hope, 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 hope. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Talk about it often among yourselves and let that hope comfort you. Let that hope settle your hearts. Let that hope remind you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the trauma we endure for now is very light in relationship to an eternal weight of glory that's before us. In hope, rejoicing, the body of Christ ought to be the happiest body of people in the world. And if you follow verses 1 and 2 all the way through, the first floor community, second floor compassion, all the way through service and dwelling in this world, you have to remember, it's not just joyful inside the body. Now we're, how do we dwell in this world? We are the happiest people, not only on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we're the happiest people in the world. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This world ought to know what happy is when they're around you. They ought to know what rejoicing is when they're around you. You know, didn't you listen to CNN or Fox this morning? It's so bad. Didn't you read our president's tweet? Why does he have to be so mean? This world is just crazy. Oh, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty happy. Don't you get wrapped up in all that? Eh. No. No, sorry. Oh, why not? You're always smiling. You've got to be fake. What's going on with you? What are you on? What are you drinking? What are you smoking, right? No, no, it's just Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is my hope. He's, he's what I'm living for. Oh, you've got to be crazy. You're one of those Jesus people. I'll bet you you're one of those born-agains too, aren't you? Well, you know, can we talk about that sometime? I may not be in the way you think I am. but I'm happy in him. I want to tell you why. I want to tell you how. Because this world's passing away and the lusts thereof. But he that abides in the will of God abides forever. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy of a different sort, a different kind of happy. Rejoicing in hope. It's a pattern, folks. It's not situational. It's continual. That's this rejoicing. This is how we thrive in this world. What's the next phrase? Persevering in tribulation. Persevering in tribulation. Don't be disheartened. Let the temporary trial of your faith, James chapter 1, bring to a greater strength in the Lord. The phrase here literally means in tribulation, persevering. In hope, rejoicing. In tribulation, get stronger. Build those muscles stronger. Why? Because you've got to follow through with verse 10. Don't ever forget. You've got to be relational. You don't want to let spiritual muscle atrophy because i got to sit down with Gordon and I've got to keep struggling well through my trials. The Greek phrase here, persevering, is to exist well under pressure. The root verb is hupomeno. It's to abide under well, to live, remain well under pressure. That's where you build muscle. It's, you lift weights, right? 
You're living under pressure. And sometimes you're struggling to get that bar up and you need someone else to spot you to get it up. But you're building muscle with somebody and you're living well under pressure. That's the idea here. That's how we live well in this world. We're rejoicing in hope. We're persevering in tribulation. And how do we do both of those things? We wrap up with being devoted to prayer. That's what it says here. How do we survive in this old world? Jesus said in Luke 18 in verse 1, men ought always to pray so that they don't lose heart. Be devoted to prayer. And my friends, there's that word again, devoted. Devoted. It's powerful. The commitment to prayer for life. When I said I do to Rhonda 26 years ago, I wasn't thinking about any other girl. You're the same way when you said, I do to your spouse. And if you walk with the Lord, there's never any other girl. Amen. Right? Never any other girl. We say yes to Christ, and I do to Christ. I turn from my sin. Oh, I do to you, Lord Jesus. There's never any other Savior. Amen? Amen. There's no one I want to talk to first in the world before my Rhonda. That's practically, that's maritally. There's no one else I want to talk to first in the world than my Jesus, spiritually. Be devoted to prayer. That's how we survive well in this old world. But our love is a passionate love. It serves well, and it perseveres well. All right, let's pray together.